right, so uh, I will introduce myself a little bit. So my name is Jeremy Metz. Um, I am the family pastor at Central Manor Church, which is, I don't know, like three miles from Crossway Church. It's like down, if you just go out Millersville and down 999 to Washington Borough, which I'm sure you get there all the time because it's a bustling place. But um, we're right there on 999 in Washington Borough, right next to Central Manor Elementary School, in case any of you might have gone there. Oh, there you go. Okay, so um, I... Uh, uh, my wife's name is Hannah. We've been married for uh, 15 years. We have four kids, uh, 12, 9, 8, and then like an almost two-year-old toddler. Who's So it's busy. It's like a really busy house. Um, I also feel like I should share because I will be gone for a large chunk of time tomorrow. Um, I am in end-stage renal failure as well. So when I was 12 years old, uh, I was diagnosed with this kidney disease called polycystic kidney disease. And basically what polycystic kidney disease is, is that uh, you get all these cysts on your kidneys and then they continue to grow and then they sh strangle the function of your kidney. And so here I am, 26 years later, and my kidneys have reached their expiration date. So I have to do uh, dialysis treatments five days a week. So tomorrow's one of the days I have to do this. So uh, I'll speak tomorrow morning, and then I'll go home to do my dialysis treatment, and then I'll come back for tomorrow night. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Uh, you still said yes. <laughs> I, still said, I, still said, I still said yes. Um, so it is a topic that I... Uh, so a couple of months ago, um, Pete asked me to come to, to lunch with him at uh, a Jackson Millersville. And I wasn't really sure what he was. I thought, well, maybe he, like, I haven't seen him for a while. Maybe he just misses me or something. <laughs> but, like, uh, so he, he talked to me. He asked me. He said, would you be willing to speak on, uh, on this topic uh, of just do something? But at the time, it was, uh, it might sound like what I described as a difficult, what I'm currently going through is a difficult time in my life, but it was a worse time in my life because I had, I had not yet started dialysis and my kidney function has, had dropped to 10%, which is probably worse than any of you guys did on that rain quiz, actually. Um, and so 10% is not an ideal place to, to live life functioning your kidney. So like, I just felt sick all the time. And, uh, I was, and I was actually going to be starting dialysis the week later, and I said, um, I said, I'll get back to you. Because I can't really make that decision right now. And uh, so I started this whole, uh, I'm do, I do dialysis at home, and there's this whole like six-week, it's very extensive training. And so I was just starting that, uh, and I kind of got a handle on it, and I'm kind of feeling a little confident and you gotta, you got to stick these giant needles into your arm. And they are huge, I'm telling you. Um, so so you got to do all this, right? So it's a, it's a lot of step. And uh, I got a handle on it. I, I'm feeling better. I, so I said, yes, I'll do it. Because it's a topic I like. And, um, and as I think back on that, right, what a great illustration for what we're talking about this week, right? Um, a decision... A difficult decision that I had to make, right? That I had to take the time to think about. But it, it's a good decision. And I would have been well within my right to say no to the decision with everything going on. And I don't think that he would have judged me for saying no by all means, right? Um, but that's kind of what we're talking about is how do we decide these things? And some of these are big and some of these are small. But, but how do we make these decisions? Um, so Pete also gave me this book. 
that Josh mentioned by by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, and I would recommend it. It's really easy. It's uh, 120 pages or something like that. You can you can get through it pretty quickly. Uh, super practical, uh, really straightforward. It's definitely worth your time. And, and so as he as I read this book, and then I went to my bookshelf, and I found I remembered this book that my dad gave me. This is not as user friendly. It's like <laughs> it's like it's 450 pages. But um, he gave this to me my senior year of high school. It's called Decision Making in the Will of God. And it is a, it's similar, the, the approach is similar to Kevin DeYoung. So I'll just tell you to read the Kevin DeYoung book, right? But when I opened it, I found this note in him that I t- from him that I totally forgot. And I thought this note was a wonderful way to open this, this sermon series. And so this is from my dad. He says, Dear Jeremy, my beloved son, because he loves me, you know. He says, I pray that the principles found in the scriptures and in this book will give you wisdom in making God-honoring choices in the years ahead. These next few years, I was like 17 or 18 at the time, these next few years will be at a time of making some of the most important decisions in your life. May God grant you wisdom and us good communication as we work through these days, with much love, Dad and Mom. July fourth, two thousand three. You got like, were you guys even? You guys are like babies then, right? Um, okay, so yeah, that was a long time ago. But anyway, as I, as I came to, as I, well, I immediately texted my dad, my dad a picture of that, and thanked him for everything. But um, this approach that I that I learned twenty years ago now. Um, has I have not always followed it perfectly or probably correctly, but this this uh, emphasis and this idea <laughs> that my dad instilled in me when I was a senior in high school um, has served me incredibly well over the last twenty years, and it's a freeing, liberating approach to decision making, one where. It's not kind of full of like self-doubt or over-spiritualization or, or, or whatever else might bog us down, but one where we can make decisions based upon Scripture that we are confident will please God. And, and, and that should be our ultimate goal. So, obviously I just gave away my age because I was in high school when you were all babies, right? So there's generational differences uh, from when I was in school. Uh, there is uh, a culture around us now that is marked by uh, indecision and contradiction and instability. Uh, we are, at least old people, are reading articles about like the problem of prolonged adolescence and and, and how people are putting off all of these major life decisions, right? Um, and, and, and then you have, on top of that, you have anxiety about decisions that many of us feel and experience. And then, on top of all of that, you have uh, competing messages and thought systems, right? You have a culture that is going to um, that is going to encourage you to make decisions that are contrary to Scripture and are are contrary to what what pleases God. So. 
in light of all that, how, how do we make decisions? Like, what, what do we need to know? So, in the next three sermons that I'm going to go through, uh, we'll be looking at decision-making from, from two perspectives. Uh, and they're both perspectives that you'll find within Christianity. Uh, but I want us to, to challenge us to take a perspective of decision-making that is based on wisdom. So, the culture around you rewards and incentivizes much different things than God does. We need wisdom to navigate those things. We need God's word to keep us on track. We need God's people to encourage us. These are things that we desperately need. So we're going to focus on what do we mean when we say the will of God? And then what are these two views of decision-making? How do we evaluate what influences our decision-making process? Um, What are the decision-making principles that we should actually be using? And then how do we deal with anxiety about decisions? And then, like, how do we apply some of these decision-making principles to some of the things that are uh, coming up for your age group if you're not there already, right? So relationships, marriage, family, career, like all of these, as Josh mentioned, from 18 to 30, your life will change, it should change dramatically, right? Uh, when you're 30 and you look back at your 18-year-old self, it, you, it's, it's, it's unrecognizable, right? And, and between 30 and 18 is an awful lot of big decisions, right? So how do we navigate those things? How do we get through those things? How can we do them confidently? And how can we do them in a way that honors God? All right, so you've got questions. You've got, uh, if I have not yet gone to college, do I go to college? Uh, Do I go straight to a career? What career do I go to? Who should I date? Who should I marry? Should we get married? Should I have kids? How many kids should I have? How many, uh, how many dogs can we afford? Um, right? You have all of these, 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 press, these pressing questions. Should I buy a house? Should I rent a house? Right? Uh, should I move to this place or that place? Should I go to this, this place or that place? Right? All of these questions are, are, are questions that you have to answer between 18 and 30 years old, most likely. Right? So... Tonight, I want to clarify what is the will of God and then also distinguish two views on the decision-making process that are common among Christians. So, what is the will of God? So there's, there's basically three types. And Kevin DeYoung in his book really lays these out well for us, right? So you have the will of decree, the will of desire, and the will of direction, right? Uh, the will of decree is essentially this. Everything that comes to pass is according to God's sovereign decree, right? So, everything that ever has or ever will occur is because God has acted in such a way and caused it to occur, right? It is his sovereign will. God is in complete control. And and we'll go through a couple of scriptures here. I have them all up on the the screen because we're going to go through a lot of different ones. I should also clarify this too. This is a, 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 so typically when I I like to preach, I like to do like an expository where we're just in one text and go through it, right? 
This is topical. We're going to be all over the place, right? Because it's a big topic and there's a lot to cover and I want to kind of hit all of these different points. So we're going to be going through a lot of scriptures. But on the topic of the will of decree, right? So in Ephesians 1.11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all, thing, all things according to the counsel of his will, right? So in God's will of decree, it includes your salvation, right? So God has, if you are a child of God, you're a child of God because God has ordained that to be. God has chosen you. God has acted through the Holy Spirit to draw you to himself and has now regenerated you through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross on, on our behalf, right? Jesus Christ died for his people, his church, right? So that is part of God's will of decree. If you are a believer, it is because God has willed it to be so. Matthew 10, 29 through 30. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Uh, so when I walked in tonight, uh, I walked into a bunch of blank stairs. Because... Uh, I, I had spoken with Josh on the phone and, and texted him, right? And uh, so, but he, we, he and I had never met in person. So he went to our church website to look, <laughs> to look to see what I looked like. And our church website picture is from 2018, right? <laughs> and I had a haircut like you, basically, right? Like it was, it's like doesn't even look like, so, you know, I tell you like when you're, 13 to 18, you don't even recognize that person anymore. Well, from like 30, 38 to 35, you might not either, right? Um, yeah, you should probably put the picture up there. It's not even me. But anyway, so I have a, like, I've just, there's a lot of hairs on this head now to number, right? God has them, right? Like, to the smallest details about us, right? None of that is outside of God's control, outside of what he has planned. Psalm 139.16 Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, and when as yet there was none of them. Um, you are here as a human being on this planet, because God created you to be here as a human being on this planet. Yeah, I know your mom and dad has something to do with it. But like, um, it is because of the work of God, right? God is the one who has formed us and created us. All of this is part of God's will of decree. How he chooses to run the universe that he has created. Lastly, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God's sovereign will and God's plan cannot be thwarted. It cannot be stopped.
It cannot be, uh, and, and we have to take great comfort in this too, because the decisions that we make are not going to mess God up, right? God is not going to be taken off guard because we chose to date this person and not this person, or we chose this job and not this job, right? God's plans will not be thwarted. God has seen these things. God knows these things. They happen because of his providence. But we, he has given us a stewardship to use wisdom to make choices that honor and glorify him. So this is the first idea of God's will. So God's will of decree. And then also we have this idea of the will of desire or, or God's moral will, right? So God has made known to to us what he desires for his creation how we should live right so if the will of decree is how things are then the will of desire is how things ought to be so that means this god in his scriptures has given us commands about how he wants us to live right he has given us commands about what we do to how we can live in a way that honors and glorifies him so, uh, go, let's go to 1 John two fifteen and 17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. The will of God here is a reference to God's moral will. So the one who follows his commands, who takes, takes the teachings of Jesus Christ seriously, the one who, who does what God has shown us in scriptures that he wants us to do, right? And there's, we're, we're, obviously we can't cover them all, but they're everywhere throughout scripture, right? You have the basic ones, you got the Ten Commandments, right? That is God's revealed moral will for us right but all throughout scripture right god has god has uh, a moral m- will about uh, uh sexual sexuality and immorality god has a moral will about uh how we treat other people right how we um how we show love to our neighbors right it's it's replete throughout scripture what god expects of us we can't really claim ignorance because it is well, we can claim ignorance if we have not read his word. But if we read God's word, we know what God wants for us. We know how God wants us to behave and to act and how to think. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right? This is a tough verse to swallow. Um, and it's not a verse that is uh, in any way... Uh, teaching a works-based salvation. But what it's teaching is the person who is who claims to be a child of God is going to be known by how they live according to how God has told them to live. Right? Now, this isn't demanding perfection because none of us have done that. And we have Jesus Christ's righteousness that... That, that presents us as holy and blameless before God. But it does require of us to make an effort to follow the revealed moral will of God. Uh, 
I know that hopefully it's it's cool with you guys, but it's not a particularly popular concept in the culture in which we live to say, here is an objective moral standard that you must follow. But that is exactly what scripture gives us, is an objective moral standard that you must follow. Um, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Right? There are things about God, or things that God knows that he has not revealed to us because we are finite creatures and we we can't handle those things. Right? But there is a ton that he has revealed to us. And that is for us that we may follow the words of the law, right? Or the words of scripture. God has given us those things so that we can do those things. So you have the will of decree, the will of desire. And lastly, you have this idea of the will of direction, right? So this is what we often think about when it comes to our life, right? So God's individual plan for our lives. So That's the who, what, where, when, why, and how of our lives. Um, You might have heard the term before, um, like being in the center of God's will, right? Picture it like, like a bullseye, right? I don't know if any of you are shoot archery. I do not, so... I'm just basing it off of what I know of bullseyes. But um, (laughs) picture a bullseye. If you're really good at it, you get it in the middle. And if you're mediocre at it, you get it in that next ring. And if you're kind of bad at it, you get it in the outer rings, right? That's generally how archery works, right? Okay, so um, it's this idea of God has this uh, unique plan, and it is we we have to have to thread it down the middle. We have to hit exactly what what God expects of us for him to be happy, right? Or maybe this idea of like road signs along the way. So uh, you were all given a a GPS marker to get here, which was more or less helpful, some not so helpful, right? Um, But but that's what you follow to get here, right? And and, and so it's this idea of um, along the way, you might, some people might think of the, the kind of that still small voice of God or, or, or whatever it might be. These road signs or these markers or God give me a sign that this is the next step that I'm supposed to take, right? And, and, and while all of this sounds good and spiritual, it's not a prescription that's actually found in Scripture, right? Um The main question for us then is, does God have a secret will of direction for our lives that he expects us to figure out before we make a decision? Does God have a secret will of direction for our lives that he expects us to figure out before we make a decision? I'm going to argue no, right? God has a will for our life, right? God has the beginning to the end planned out. But God does not place the expectation on us to figure that out before we take each step that we take, right? 
And that is a liberating idea. That we can, what we know from Scripture, take it, apply it, and make a decision that we feel honors and glorifies God. So there's these two views of decision-making, right? There's this traditional view. And, and I don't know if traditional view is the right way to call it. That's what this book calls it. So if you want to look into it and feel like reading 450 pages, decision-making in the will of God. Gary Friesen. Um, anyway, a, a traditional view is kind of this, this idea that we were just talking about, right? So um, God's individual will, or his will of direction, is that ideal, detailed life plan which God has uniquely designed for each believer. This life plan encompasses every decision we make and is the basis of God's daily guidance. The guidance is given through the indwelling Holy Spirit, who progressively reveals God's life plan to the heart of the individual believer. The Spirit uses many means to reveal his life plan, as we shall see, but he always gives confirmation at the point of each decision. Right, And that's kind of like, for a lot of us, it's kind of been a view that maybe we didn't necessarily intend to pick up, but that we've picked up along the way, right? One of the ways that we've picked this up along the way is through WJTL. Now, um, <laughs> because, because you get these songs, right? It's like, uh, I can't remember the name of it. I, you move the mountains, I know you do it again. Whatever it is, like, right? You have these songs where it's like, God, give me these signs. God, you do these miracles in my life. God, uh, right? And they're like fine songs or whatever. But, like, they kind of skew then how we make these decisions and how we see God and how we understand sovereignty and providence, right? Um, not to pick on WGTL. It's a fine station if you enjoy it. Um, and, but that happens, right? Or, or, or you have the classic from Scripture, right? It's Gideon. Gideon's fleece, right? It's a classic example. I use this. This is like a when I was a kid. We had flannel graph. Okay, right? It, it, that kind of took me back to my good old days, uh, that picture, right? Um, so Gideon's fleece, right? This is the example. So God calls Gideon as a judge, and Gideon lays out this fleece, and he says, if the ground is wet and the fleece is dry, then I'll know that this is serious, and then I'll do it, right? And so then the ground is wet and the fleece is dry. And then Gideon's like, well, hold on. He's like, I meant to say, if the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, then I'll do it, right? And so then the next day, the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, right? And, and, and so we've taken this to kind of be, oh, God, give us a sign like you gave Gideon, right? God, give us a sign. God, if you want me to do this, then make this happen, right? But the thing is, this is not actually a good example for us to follow. Uh, particularly in this case, because if you read the passage right before this, the angel of the Lord directly appears to Gideon. He, like, makes a rock into bread. There's stew. It's a whole thing. But the angel of the Lord talks directly to Gideon and tells him exactly what he wants him to do. And then just, you know, a couple paragraphs later... Gideon's like, nah, I'm not going to do this next thing unless you give me these signs, right? This is an example of a lack 
of faith. This is not an example of something that you should attempt to emulate in your decision-making process. Here's a good hint. When it comes to judges, like the theme of the book is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So like none of them are good examples to follow, right? um, Like great lessons from judges on what not to do, right? Not on what to do. Um, and so you have this, you have, but you have this idea then that kind of has like somehow like pervaded modern evangelicalism, right? Where it's like, man, I need a sign before I do this next thing. A couple of years ago in my office, I, there was a a girl, she was, I think she was 17 or 18 at the time and, and she was with her dad and, and she was really struggling and, and she had all of these, like, you know, she was coming into this, do I go to college? Do I go to career? Whatever. And, and it, to her, she said, I just want to hear God's voice. Tell me what to do, right? And I told her that I've been a Christian since I was six years old, so three decades at that point. And I've never heard audibly God's voice tell me what to do, right? I explained to her that God tells me what to do through his word, which he has revealed to us, right? And it's this idea, though, that she was so distraught over these decision make, this decision that she was trying to make that she, she was almost paralyzed, right? And she just, she, she was making no decision whatsoever at this point, right? This is this idea that has kind of just, if nothing else, snuck its way into our subconscious, Right? That God, we need a sign before we do this next thing. Um, another way that the, the traditional way influences us uh, is this feeling that we need to have a, a calling from God in order to make a big decision. Um, I've seen this awkwardly happen in relationships. Uh, did any of you go to Bible college? So, so you know, you guys know. Okay, right. <laughs> So in Bible college, uh, my one of my best friends' name is Josh. And Josh, I think it was our sophomore year, he was really into this girl named Kendra. Kendra is nice and all. Um, and so he's really into this girl named Kendra. And then as college happens, right, the semester ends, you go home for the summer, Josh goes home to Erie, Kendra goes to wherever she was from, and... Uh, just a couple weeks into summer, Josh gets this phone call from Kendra, right? And it's Kendra breaking up with him. But <laughs> it's Kendra breaking up with him because she says she feels called to be a single missionary her whole life, right? So now Josh is getting broken up with by Kendra and by God, right? <laughs> and so, like... And here's the thing, too. It's like, she's married with kids and not a missionary. Um, it, the, the, tr- the truth of the matter was, now Josh is fine. Josh is now married. He has three kids. He's great. Um, uh, yeah, he did just fine. But, but she, rather than just saying, Josh, you're not the one I like. You're like, you're not the guy for me, right? It's this... 
this kind of over-spiritual, this is super common in Bible college. So it's this kind of like over-spiritualization of a relationship, right? Um, it's kind of just how it kind of pervades everything, right? So what is the alternative? A wisdom view is the alternative. So, uh, and this is from Friesen's book. Christian decision-making is grounded on the objective truth of God's moral will. So according to the Bible, the only aspect of God's will that must be known, the only aspect that can be known, is God's moral will. And 100% of God's moral will, not 80%, not 90%, but 100% has been revealed in the Bible. The believer already has at his disposal everything that God is going to tell him about his decision. There will be no further hints, clues, nudges, or hunches to try to decipher. They just aren't needed. You have, in God's word, everything that you already need to make decisions. So, let's look at Paul's decision-making process in Romans 1. So, in Romans 1, 8 through 15, I'm going to read this passage. Paul says this, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want to, you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Right? So what is Paul doing in this passage, right? He planned. In verse 13, he planned to be there, right? Making plans is appropriate. Making plans is necessary, right? Paul wasn't just waiting. And Paul was someone who actually had God speak directly to him, right? But in this case, Paul wasn't just waiting for God to tell him exactly what his next steps were going to be, right? Paul was making plans. Paul's desire was go to, to go to Rome to preach the gospel, so Paul made plans to do that very thing, right? He prayed about it in verses 8 through 10, right? He made several plans to go to Rome, and he prayed that God would bring it to pass. Paul submitted to God's sovereign will, right? So he had made these plans, but he's able to accept delay without experiencing undue frustration, right? So he had made several plans. They had all fallen through for, for a bunch of different reasons, some of them being, being beaten to death almost, right? Uh, so all of these plans had fallen through, but he was still trusting God to accomplish his purposes. And lastly, you see that Paul's plans were based on spiritual goals. Right? So what are Paul's goals? What, 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 are Paul's, what does Paul want to accomplish with these plans? Right? So he wants to provide spiritual ministry. He wants to further establish and encourage the church. 
He wants to receive encouragement from the believers in Rome, and he wants to win unbelievers to, to Christ, right? All four of those things are very much encouraged in God's moral will, right? God wants you to be doing those things, right? God wants us to be providing spiritual ministry. God wants us to be further working and establishing the church, right? God wants us to be receiving encouragement from one another. God wants us to be winning unbelievers for Christ, right? So the, the goals for Paul's plans were completely in line with what God had revealed to Paul and to all believers all along. So Paul's decision-making process demonstrates that a wisdom approach is not at odds with providence, Right? It is not at odds with providence. We can make plans and then we can trust God for the outcome of those plans. Uh, so it is not at odds. In fact, it's, it's quite the opposite. It shows a complete dependence and trust on the providence and provision of God. And if we're seeking to make plans that honor God, then we can trust him with the outcomes. So, um, oh... I was having this conversation with Anthony earlier about how you measure time. Once you're a dad, you measure time based on how old your kids were when something happened, right? So when my, my daughter is now 12, and when she was, I don't know, like six, seven months, we went over to a, a new family in our church who we didn't know yet. They had invited us over, uh, and it was like we were new parents. We were our first kid. We are new parents, and when you're new parents, you don't know what you're doing. Um, and so we were new parents, and uh, it's like, I think it was our first, like, outing to someone's house who wasn't, like, my parents or my in-laws, right? And so it was, it was a big deal. And my daughter was horrible. She was just, she was terrible. And uh, kids will do that sometimes, right? She's six or seven, so she's, you know, not really aware of how bad she was being. But it was just difficult, right? Really crying, really fussy. She hated these people that we went over to the seat. <laughs> By God's grace, they liked my wife and me, right? And their names are Josh and Andrea. And so Josh and Andrea and, I, and my wife and I, we've, we've been friends for these, these 12 years now, right? And, and there's lots of things that have, have brought us together, right? Uh, so I didn't mention, but I grew up in Mexico, and so I have a deep love for Mexican food as, as the most superior food on the planet, right? And Josh, even though he did not grow up in Mexico, also shares this deep love for Mexican food with me. Uh, and so we have these things together. He is an Eagles fan, and I'm, or he's a Giants fan, and I'm an Eagles fan, so like that's kind of a problem. But like, there's other things, that. but ultimately it's our faith in Jesus Christ that unites our friendship. And so Josh and I have been friends for 12 years, and... This was long before, so I knew I had this kidney disease, but I didn't have any symptoms or effects, and I kind of just lived life like it didn't exist. Uh, and within the last year, as things have declined, he has been really, like, uh, really supportive and really helpful. And today, uh, Josh called me and told me that he is my kidney donor, right? Like, just, just today. It really discombobulated me as I was finishing final prep. Uh, and I, but I say all that uh, to say I didn't make friends with Josh 12 years ago to one day harvest his organs. <laughs> like, we became friends because God put us together 
in this church that we were at at the time uh, and brought us together, right? We're just friends. We do stuff together, right? Our kids are growing up together. Our kids are friends, right? It was never my intention. I'm like, oh, man, I need to make friends with these guys because they look like they have healthy organs. (laughs) Um, It's like, but God in his providence saw fit to make that connection long before I would have ever even thought about it or crossed my mind, right? We make decisions and we trust God with the outcome. Um, so the goal of, of this short sermon series is not to help you hear the still small voice of God when it comes to making every decision in your life, but rather it's to motivate you to get up and do something for the glory of God. Make a decision. No mystical processes. No Gideon-like fleeces. No messages in the sky. No indecisiveness leading to inaction. Right? Do something. We're going to talk more about, in the next two, about these kind of these kind of principles that we can draw from scripture to apply to these situations that we find ourselves in or these decisions that we have to make but don't be afraid to just do something 